Ted Brzezelski, it's Sunday morning. It's time for another Words and Work. We've got Ken Kennan, who's a pastor here in Tucson, wrote a book called Marriage of Earth and Sky. I'm going to get right to it because uh, we're going to go a little long on this one. Well, yes, it uh, started r rather early. Um, really comes out of my experience in, in uh, my church growing up, which was a congregational church. Mm -hmm. At that time, I married a beautiful woman who were about to have our 70th wedding anniversary. And she was a disciple of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd know it as First Christian Church or Broadway Christian Church. Um, so uh, that was, it happened to be the uh, same denomination as my mother was raised in. in um, northern part of Missouri. I say Missouri because I'm from the south uh, <laughs> uh, rather than Missouri. Uh, we took off uh, to Denver, Colorado, where I thought I was going to go into uh, teaching theater arts in a college or a university and uh, almost uh, finished uh, <laughs> a degree uh, at that university when I got a call to go into ministry, which is a long story, mm -hmm. and uh, decided to move down to uh, Fort Worth to go to Texas Christian University and change my major to sociology. And uh, I did that and got, eventually got uh, my, that degree and a uh, uh, master's degree in seminary uh, of divinity. Uh, and by all of that time, we had five children in tow. I had served some congregations um, in Texas. Uh, we moved to Michigan, and uh, then we moved from Michigan down here to Tucson. Uh, we've been in Tucson since uh, January 1978, so we we've been around here for a while and love it. And so, so now that you're retired from ministry and you're a writer, um, I mean, I, I don't know if you have a, a chance to read more um, and and when you know of, of other traditions and stuff. But when you when when you want to pick up a book on on spirituality, I mean, who do you who do you go to, and 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 how often do you go outside of the the tradition that you're you were raised in? Well, I'm very ecumenical, and my experience is very ecumenical. In the 1980s, um, I left Broadway Christian Church, which which was at Broadway and Swan at that time. Uh, and became the director of the Task Force for Central America for the Tucson Ecumenical Council, in which we were aiding refugees fleeing persecution in Central America. And out of that came uh, what was known as the Sanctuary Movement, mm -hmm. although that certainly was not the first such uh, sanctuary uh, worldwide or even in the United States uh, that the world had experienced. 
but uh, I was at the very beginning of the, the, that kind of work. And while many of my friends were on trial in the sanctuary trial here in Tucson in those days, I was an unindicted co-conspirator. I was not, not taken to court. Uh, they hoped to use me to uh, put my friends into uh, prison. And uh, so they didn't indict me. Uh, but, uh, that's a whole other story about this sanctuary movement. But much of my experience since then uh, uh, flows from my experience with, with refugees fleeing persecution and my going down to Central America on a couple of visits uh, and seeing for myself what was going on there. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about this book, uh, Marriage of Earth and Sky. And it's, uh, I mean, you play a little part in it, but your family, your friends that you grew up with in the Ozarks and, um, you know, the, the Ozarks kind of have a little bit of a moment uh, because of the show Ozark, but I'm not sure if that's the best, uh, <laughs> um, you know, way to have that region of the country portrayed. Um, could you talk a little bit about what the Ozarks are and, and you know, what, uh, and, and a little bit about your book? All right. Uh, I would say the uh, TV program Ozark. <laughs> yeah. It's about as far different from my book as you could possibly get. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of uh, the kind of story that it is telling. Actually, Marriage of Earth and Sky is a story about my parents uh, from the time they're born until and get married and throughout their life, what they gave the, their life to, the kind of uh, a life of uh, philosophy and values that they put forth and put first. Um, I became very interested in where my values had come from earlier in my adult life. And, but I didn't know a great deal about that, uh, but I started searching about it. And then uh, when my mother who lived with us in, here in Tucson for five years before her death uh, died in Tucson, uh, uh, we were, uh, I have a, had an older sister and a younger brother, and uh, we were so sorry that she hadn't gone ahead and written uh, more stories and a book that we had tried to encourage her to write about her experiences growing up uh, as a farm girl in, in Missouri and uh, the kind of experiences she and dad had as pioneers uh, in the arts and education in the Missouri Ozarks. Now, the Missouri Ozarks, um, I found out some people like out here in the West never heard, heard the word Ozark, unless it was related to the TV program, or uh, didn't know a thing about it. And it's probably not the first place one would think of when you start thinking about the fine arts and uh higher education. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we, we simply were not known for that. 
Uh, I was born in Springfield, Missouri, and raised there. Stayed in the ha same house all my life in a Republican uh, conservative home until I was 18 years old. And then my wife and I married right out, right out of high school. Um, during the time that, that, I, uh, that uh, we were married, I was working for uh, the Bakers and Confectionery Workers Union, uh, making pies and uh, uh, donuts for servicemen at Fort Leonard Wood <laughs> mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I had gotten a scholarship to go to Denver University, thinking I was going into theater arts. And uh, uh, so we took off and went there. Um, so I went clear through uh, high school there in the Ozarks. And it's a, a, a beautiful country. It's so, so much uh, country is. It's very different than what we experience here uh, in the southern part of Arizona. Uh, but each place has its own beauty and attractiveness and the things that lure you to it. One of the things that always lured me to the Ozarks was the plain spokenness of the people, uh, much more direct, and certainly in the kind of world we're living in today with <laughs> uh, political shenanigans that are going on, although political shenanigans aren't new, uh, trying to be direct in, in one's speech and what uh, one is conversing with each other is uh, is more rare than ever. Um, the marriage of Earth and Sky would not have happened except that my mother was a, a writer also. Uh, she wasn't uh, a writer of novels. She wrote poetry. And I have poetry of hers that goes back to age 14. And uh, she wrote poetry up almost till the time that she passed away at the age of 80. Um, she uh, also was a school teacher. She started teaching school at the age of 17, right out of high school in the northern part of Missouri. It was a rural school, and she had grades one through eight. And she wasn't too sure that she was cut out for the educational life at that time. When she met my father and married him, she could no longer teach children in public school in the state of Missouri. Uh, that was the situation with women not only in Missouri, but in other places in the United States. And so uh, she devoted herself pretty much to uh, uh, helping dad in, in his kinds of dreams and put her dreams on the back shelf. Uh, he had a vision of, uh, although he was a young architect, and was doing quite well in architecture before the Great Depression uh, and had a 
a uh, boss who had a construction company with, that was uh, well connected and uh, provided uh, security and jobs for all of his workers during the Great Depression because of it. My dad had this vision of wanting to become a painter so he could express himself through, through his painting. And uh, that is much of what the book is about. Uh, I am lucky enough to have uh, letters. My mother was a correspondent who kept letters. And uh, I have letters from her and from my dad, from my brother and my sister, other members of the family uh, that go throughout their lives. And I am able to indeed uh, quote them verbatim on many, many subjects as we go through the book. And you will see those uh, in the book and much of the book is uh, from uh, correspondence and notes. Uh, my brother was in the U.S. Army from 1957 to 1960 and they would write back and forth. My brother would write here and dad and mother would write there. And just before he went off into the service, my mother, because of the situations that had changed uh, uh, culturally, she was able to go back to school teaching. And so she went, She at the age of 55, she went back to finish up her degree and got, got her degree in 1960 and was teaching uh, basically third and fourth graders rather than a school from grades one to eight. But uh, uh, those letters also give to me uh, letters that my father wrote after painting uh, oils and watercolors. He liked to do his creative work at night and the early morning hours. That's when things really opened up to him. And uh, he would sit down and write a letter to my brother after painting a picture. So I've got his own description of what he was doing, he thought. <laughs> um, so uh, the cover of the book is a, is a painting. Is that one of your father's paintings? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, that's the name of the painting, Marriage of Earth and Sky. Okay. Um, and, and you talked about how much writing both your mother and father left behind. I take it that helped out with researching this book. Yes, it did. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I know that there's a relative I have that I wanted to chronicle, and, and I ended up having to talk to other relatives who all had you know, conflicting stories about this guy and he didn't, sure. he didn't leave much of a written record behind. So it was really hard to kind of uh, cobble stuff together. And it's really lucky that they left that legacy for you. Well, my father was the one that was kind of out front on the arts business, but my mother 
uh, was involved with him in that for a period of about 15 years. Uh, uh, various things happened during those years. Um, uh, he started painting uh, in earnest in about the mid-1930s. He kept his day job for a while during the Great Depression in order to keep food on the table. But uh, he eventually left, left that and uh, struck out doing some other things. One of the things that they were able to accomplish together with Dad kind of taking the lead, at least uh, publicly, was uh, to organize a Ozark Artist Association and trying to get the local art folks together uh, to uh, do what was necessary to advance uh, the arts within that culture, which was, of course, the Missouri Ozarks. Uh, now, the Ozarks is mostly in Missouri and northern uh, part of Arkansas, but it also lops over into Kansas and Oklahoma on the, on the east side. So he was very much involved with people of the, uh, in that area. And not only did he start teaching uh, art classes himself, uh, uh, but Mother taught children's art classes in the uh, Springfield Museum for a period of years on Saturdays, in addition to what she was doing in the public schools. Uh, she was also doing some art instruction in the public schools for, for them, for the children there. And uh, that all of those kinds of stories are, are in the book. The other thing that he did was get a um, fine arts uh, division started at the Ozark Empire District Fair, which was basically a, uh, a business, business arrangement, uh, particularly during uh, the Great Depression, where they were trying to make a comeback from the uh, woes of the economy. And uh, he thought that uh, uh, pieces of art ought to have a chance to get a blue ribbon just like a hog or a chicken. Sounds fair. <laughs> it um, is fair. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to talk to you about, I know this is a book that came out decades ago uh, that you wrote, but uh, you did bring up your involvement with the sanctuary movement. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a big very important thing that Tucson was at the center of back in the late 1980s, or actually mid to late 1980s. Um, so you wrote a book called Prisoner of Conscience, which was about your time in jail. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember if it, if, if it was actually sanctuary movement related or later from your being an observer at the School of the Americas. But uh, could you talk a little bit about that book? Sure. Um it, it really grows out of my experience of uh, being a pastor in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and having people with marks of torture on their bodies and in their souls. Uh, 
far, far more than simply not having something to eat or a place to live, arriving at a place where they didn't know the language. And people like myself, I've never been uh, good at languages uh, in terms, uh, I've been so busy doing some other things. Uh, I'm not one that takes to it fast, uh, but I found a way to get involved. I do care about people. And I started having these people show up at my church door. And the same would have been true of many pastors in many different churches in the community. That's how the sanctuary movement got started. We were really trying to um, deal with uh, something that had a local manifestation. So that got me into the whole um, a line of knowing people who had gone through such torturous things with their children and other members of their families killed by death squads, uh, tortured, uh, kidnapped, uh, raped. Uh, there's one woman uh, who I will never forget, uh, whose husband uh, was taken off the street because he had been involved in a union movement in Guatemala. And had he and a couple of other men in the union had gone to uh, their boss seeking to have uh, better working conditions. And uh, they ended up kidnapped, tortured, dismembered, one joint from the other, and piled up on their hometown street as a message to others that might follow them. Um, and I know that woman who lost that husband. And it still shakes me to this very day, the very thought of that. So, um, So it really changed me a whole lot. I learned an awful lot from the refugees. Uh, things that I th thought I knew things about, I realized I was complete neophyte about it. I was very naive about certain things and uh, found it very hard to believe. But being from Missouri, I, the show me state, I was also the kind of guy who looked for opportunities to be shown and uh, found them. In the book, uh, Prisoner of Conscience is a memoir. Um, and within its pages are introduction as to why I ended up in a federal pris prison. Um, I had been a good boy scout. I was not an Eagle Scout, but I, I was a life scout, which is an second best. Uh, when I was going to college in Denver, Colorado, I was a security clerk for three years in the FBI field office in Denver. Um, and uh, I had some experiences there uh, that had to do with, uh, one of which had to do with uh, John Gilbert Graham who dynamited an airliner killed 45, 43, 45 people 
out of the air, out of the Denver airport. It was the first one of those incidents that had happened. And I was uh, as close, close as across the table from John Gilbert Graham. And here was a young man my age, married, had one child like I did. We were about the same age going to the same university. And I began to wonder, why is he over there confessing to dynamiting this airliner? And I'm over here listening to him confess that. Um, so it was those kinds of experiences that I had in my life uh, that, that uh, draw, drew me into uh, wanting to know my own participation through my government and my uh, political activities uh, to what life really was like, uh, it, not only in the United States, but through our policies throughout the world. So the way I got involved with uh, SOA Watch, which is School of the Americas Watch, um, was I became uh, aware of them after I had um, had had these experiences. And uh, the School of the Americas, which is a very innocuous term, was a military training school in counterinsurgency, uh, one of more than 200 such programs across uh, the world at that time that was being carried out by our military, by our tax dollars that were uh, funded through uh, the Congress, the House of the United States. And uh, I started becoming aware of how, how it is that this man from this woman that I know who was cut up in all these little pieces and laid on his, his own street with his body on top of the rest of his body, uh, but severed from every other joint, uh, and who had been... Uh, had been tortured by a man who was a graduate of the School of the Americas. It wasn't just something I read in the newspaper. So uh, what we did there was simply try to explain to people what the School of the Americas was doing. And when I say they were teaching counterinsurgency warfare, what I'm saying is the people that were running things in these countries, uh, many of them, if not, I could say most of them were uh, dictatorships. Um, and we found that uh, there, there was a Hall of Fame at the School of the Americas with 13 of these dictators who were graduates of that school. And they were doing such things as they were doing in uh, El Salvador at the time uh, with uh, death squads uh, going out and killing people, uh, picking up uh, professors from their classes at the university, uh, 
priests from the streets of the little hamlets out in the countryside and torturing and killing them. Mm -hmm. And one of those people was the mastermind behind the assassination of Archbishop Oscar Romero, who has now become a saint within the Catholic Church. And he certainly is mine. I call him my patron saint. Yeah. Uh, so kind of started out like I did and ended up differently. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for uh, uh, telling us those stories. I'm, uh, I'm very, very glad that I, I reached out to you. Well, I'm glad you reached out to me, too. I am very concerned about getting the story of my parents that is in Marriage of Earth and Sky out. But mainly because of, uh, I think, it, we need to help the younger generations know that there are different ways of doing things. And there are different people in different cultures. And that this diversity is a very good thing. I think some people in the younger generation have been able to latch onto that because of their experience with some of us that are older heads, you know, some of the, uh, the worst examples of that uh, from the experiences that we had earlier in the United States. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ken, and thank you all for listening. Words and Work has been a presentation of Downtown Radio and the National Writers Union Tucson Chapter. I'll see you all next week.